time I checked, I was still a kid. Childish, childish. This all freaks me out a bit. Hey, after you drop off the kids or put them to bed, turn on Childish with real life friends and podcasting virtuosos Greg Fitzsimmons and Allison Rosen. Laugh about the struggles and joys of parenthood. Grow closer to your children. Learn something useful or not. Maybe feel less alone. And maybe even put the spark back into your love life. Childish is for people who are parents or had parents. If you had no parents, maybe check out WTF with Mark Marin. Subscribe to Childish. New episodes coming soon wherever you listen to podcasts. Childish, oh shit. Last time I checked, I was still a kid. Childish, childish. This all freaks me out a bit. Childish, oh shit. How can I pet when I'm still a kid? Childish. Allison Rosen. Allison Rosen is your new best friend. Allison, Allison. Hey everyone, hi, hello, welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend. I'm sitting here with comedian Emily Heller. She is a writer-producer for Barry and has worked on a ton of other shows. She has two albums out on Kill Rockstars, most recently The Very Funny Pasta, which came out in November, and she also is the co-host of Baby Geniuses, and I feel like maybe I'm leaving stuff out. Um, I'm really good looking. She is so easy on the eyes. (laughs) I feel intimidated. Actually, let's talk about aesthetics for a second. Your Uh hair is curly right now. It is. yeah. And I feel like I read something. I don't know if you tweeted it or on Instagram or in an article or you were talking about like having the confidence to finally wear your hair curly. Yes. I don't even know if it was like the confidence so much as it was just like, I just went for it because I'm, I'm a confident person, Mm -hmm. but I've just like. I think it was more like having faith in my hair that it'll that it'll be there work for you. Out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And how's it going so far? So far, so good. Yeah, it's really. I get a ton of compliments from straight-haired people now. Interesting, which is nice. Yeah. So we're see. I have naturally curly hair, but I get it oh, straightened. So I, in a way, I'm kind of passing. Yeah. Um, were you pretend like? Yeah. Were you also passing? My hair is just sort of like <laughs> on the line, where it's like it's really inconsistent are people already turning this off um <laughs> well it's, perhaps but those who care about hair are super into it's it. like whatever <laughs> I, it doesn't take a lot to sort of like move it from curly to straight or from straight to curly mm. it's just like i would i wouldn't like straighten it i wouldn't like hardcore straighten it but i would like st- sometimes blow out my bangs and then like leave the rest of it wavy or I would put it in braids to make it sort of like loose waves. Right. It takes a little bit of work to get it like full curly. Is this like, a, is it a diffuser situation? I Yeah. I sometimes use a diffuser and it's just like a matter of like doing the right things, like letting it dry in the right way. But, um, but yeah, uh, it's been, a, it's been a big change. <laughs> I like it. Um, do you have the gal chat drop? Did I send that one to you? Mm-hmm. I feel like that one goes here. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys don't know what a diffuser is, <laughs> I didn't know what a diffuser was until I went to like a hairstylist who specifically works with like curly hair and she taught me all of the tricks about mm. like how to dry it, how to like, how to let it dry, all of that stuff. Yeah. It's an attachment that goes on the end of your blow dryer and it looks sort of like a 
bullhorn or megaphone. It's it, yeah, and it's got little things that come out of it sometimes. Yeah, it's like a spiky. <laughs> oh God! Just Google image search it. It's it's, it's so like hard a humongous to sea urchin that you use to blow dry your hair. Yeah, <laughs> but it much. sends the air. It just makes like a diffuse heat coming at your head as opposed to a concentrated yeah source of air. Um, so. I listened to some tracks on pasta. So funny. Thank you. And you're pretty, well, I was going to say you're, you're quite outspoken politically. Yeah. Um, but the album, when you did it, it was like, so it was no, oh no, no. I actually recorded it a full year ago. Okay. January of last year. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, how is the reaction? Because I find that when I say like the, smallest political thing i get pushed back on social media and all that so i'm wondering when you at your shows what's it like um what's interesting is like i think because the album starts out so political i do think people think of it as a political album but i if you listen like from my perspective like i feel like i get the politics stuff out of the way Mm -hmm. pretty early and that's kind of the point of starting with it is because like i think i just noticed that when i was on the road after the election it felt like people needed you to address it right away. Otherwise it was hanging over, hanging over you. And I think we've kind of moved past that at this point. But like when I was working on this material, it was really like the beginning middle of 2017. And like when I first got on the road, I was in Australia. That was like where I started my tour for like developing this material. And I was on like the Americans show at Mm -hmm. the Melbourne international comedy festival. And so it was like, if we didn't talk about it, it was this like heavy, heavy thing in the air. And so really I wrote jokes specifically to address the political situation without really getting super specific. Mm -hmm. I would try to make it as like personal and emotional as I possibly could so that it wasn't, some kind of like preaching to the choir or anything like that. But in general, the response has been really good. I mean, I think people who come to see me know what they're getting. Mm -hmm. Um, And if they don't, it's like the politics jokes aren't, aren't going to be the only thing they don't like. (laughs) Uh, I feel like that sort of attitude kind of permeates the rest of my comedy. I don't know. I, I feel like I, either you see me as a pain in the ass or you don't. And that's true, whether you agree with me politically or not. And you say when they come to your show, they know what they're getting. How would you describe what they're getting? Oh, God. Just really one of the best comedy shows you'll ever <laughs> see in your fucking life. Uh, no, I don't know. I mean, like, I'm uh, I'm not a super high-energy comedian. I'm, I, I think what I talk about is pretty personal, but I also have, I think, like, a, you know, an unusual point of view and i don't know i feel like you can look at the picture of me that's on the comedy club website and just be like oh i see those glasses i know what this is you know (laughs) what i mean like i'm not i'm not i don't think i think i'm a pretty unsurprising person but uh i try to be as surprising as i can Mm -hmm. but i don't know yeah but i love that it's the combination of like the political stuff which you're right it is very personal but then also like really silly Silly yeah. humor too, like the the Fraser Friends stuff, which yes. is hilarious. I mean, I prefer silly stuff. It's interesting. Like, I think I tend to come off a little bit angrier than I even intend to when I'm mm-hmm. on stage. When really, it is like I I'm I I think like silly stuff is much funnier. <laughs> and like when I have my choice of like what I what I watch and what I you know what I can talk about on stage, I like I try to be as silly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um while still, yeah, addressing what's going on in my life. It's interesting. I think that that is a thing that 
women face more than men. Tell me if you agree, which is people, you know, a handful of things that you say will make people perceive you. And I don't mean you, I mean us. Yeah. One as angry. Oh yeah. When really like I had Amy Miller on recently and she was, was saying that like, people think I hate men. Like I really, you know, I just cooked for my boyfriend. I blah, 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 blah. And like, um, you know, and she's like a a fairly sort of like, like sweet, soft person in person. But I think she can come, you know, people assume she's angry too or strident or whatever. It doesn't take a lot. Yeah. Um, and I can't even imagine how much harder that is for like women of color where it's just like, oh, like stuff I say, they could not get away with saying right. they would be seen as very, very angry for saying that. Right. But um, yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. I think like, especially there, there's stuff that I was really, I had to be really conscious about that particular, just in general, like people's reactions to women in general mm-hmm. and how that affects how they hear. Like I had to sort of go out of my way to step out certain things on the album I realized like when I talk about like gaining weight or like body image stuff, mm-hmm. like I have to so carefully make sure that I say like I like myself in order for people to not see that material as self-deprecating mm-hmm. because it's just assumed that it is if I talk about how I look because the audience assumes that I'm not okay with how right. I look, which is not something I'm putting out there at all. But the amount of work that it took mm-hmm. to get those jokes to the place where it hopefully that gets across that like I'm talking about this and I'm not putting this sort of heaviness on it right. that you assume I am. And I've gotten that note from like late night bookers that like, I can't talk about this or it'll be seen as self-deprecating. And it's like, and I'm not being self-deprecating though. It's just the content. And the problem with being seen as self-deprecating would be, it's not honest. I, I mean, I, th- it's, I, I, and I have nothing against self-deprecating. There are definitely jokes in my act that are self-deprecating. Mm-hmm. It's just on that particular issue. like Right, because you're trying to make a point. I'm trying to make a point, but also the honest reality is I like the way I look and I like my body and I don't have a problem with it. It's not an act. It's not part of my act. And I think that earlier on in my career, I used to talk about it slightly differently, like with less care in a way that I think like just misrepresents myself. Mm-hmm. And I do think try and hold myself to a standard of like honesty on stage i also think it's more interesting to talk about yeah. it if it is like i think it's unusual the way i feel about my body mm-hmm. just from conversations i've had with other women so it's like why wouldn't i want to lean into the thing about me that's more unique right you know? so you talk about being diagnosed with adhd at how old were you i was um i guess i was actually was i I think I was 31 when I got diagnosed. Okay. I don't know what I say on the album, but yeah, I was 31 when I got the 32. Diagnosis. Now 32? I feel like you're, yeah. f- I think you say 32 and now I, th- I don't know what, I don't know what's real. And that I was the thing what- where I was like, should I be honest about the age I am right now? Or should I try and make this seem more recent? And yeah. Anyway, I think I was 31 when I got diagnosed. Yeah. Um, actually what I was going to say was, and then you go into talking about how you joined a gym because that's something that like exercise is supposed to help with that. Um, and I want to know how that's going, but I'm going to ask a different question first. Okay. Can you talk about being diagnosed like with ADHD at, you know, finding out that, oh, you have this thing at 31? Yeah. Uh, I can talk about that. Wonderful. (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, I've been in therapy for a long time and, I think it was only in the last few years I started learning a little bit more about how ADHD manifests differently in um, women, like in in girls, just in general, like the things that are considered markers we're learning now are different for girls than they are for boys. So like the way that we had 
we talk about ADHD for kids of like hyperactive, like that wasn't me. Um, so I don't think I, I thought about it, but also like, but for girls, it's like, are you spacey? Mm -hmm. Like, and anyway, I had, honestly, it was like, uh, (laughs) I fucking, I, I sound so, uh, single-mindedly political and i don't mean to be but it had a lot to do with trump becoming president (laughs) and um i i had started to think about like okay can i completely reorganize my life to be about trying to fix the world instead of um what i'm currently doing which is very little uh and so i started trying to like take on these projects of like, you know, activism projects or whatever, and just none of it happened. And I started really beating myself up for like not being able to change the way I felt and change the way I acted and put work into stuff. And I, and I, you know, and that's a a cycle that I have been in at various stages in my life of like having an ambition, not being able to pursue it, not understanding why, really hating myself for it. And um, it kind of like, broke me Mm. and then I started I don't know what the impetus was but like I'd also like I've I've had like pretty much every boyfriend I've had at some point in my life has told me that uh it seems like I'm not listening to them (laughs) and I I just realized I was like I think I might have ADHD and I think I want to find out if I do because I want to know more about it and be able to deal with it if that's the case and um so I, and, and I, you know, it was, I kind of like hit this point where I was like really depressed and really like upset and just sort of like, just messed up about mm. everything that was going on. And, um, I think it was, I think it was like March after the election or something, or it was very, it was very soon after the election. Um, and, uh, yeah, I went in, I, I, you basically just answer some questions about, your behavior and you know um and the my psychiatrist told me like yeah i mean obviously you're like a high functioning person like but you definitely have it <laughs> like you like a lot of your answers are very indicative of this but i think what happened is you have found a way to cope with it and to like pursue things that your ADHD works with Mm -hmm. and a lot of times what happens with people who like find that balance is if something throws it off balance everything kind of crashes and that's sort of what happened with me and so once I got the diagnosis I was like I mean it was it was hard because I you do sort of grieve for all of the things in your life that you think could be different if you had known that about yourself. Mm-hmm. Like all of the time I spent hating myself for like not being able to magically be a new person. Uh, that was hard to think about, but it really was like, I was so happy for the first few months of being diagnosed. Cause it felt like I understood this thing about myself better. And I was able to sort of like change the way I approached my goals and, um, and also now I'm on medication and it's great. <laughs> um, I recommend it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, it, I think it's, it's, it, the hardest thing about it was like worrying that like people wouldn't take it seriously or that I was like drug seeking. I think people with ADHD are treated as drug seeking a lot, which is uh, really frustrating. Is the and, treatment for Adderall? Uh, that's the one that I'm on. I tried a few before I ended up on Adderall. Um, but it different people have different reactions. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah. And, and then also there's like 
changes you can make to your lifestyle that help. I mean, that was part of like the bit was like I started going to the gym because I knew my brand would work better. I haven't been in a while, but um, <laughs> but it did help a lot. Like to know and to and just to know that like certain things aren't going to work. Certain things are just never going to work for me. And like what? Like just um, certain ways of like expecting myself to work in just mm-hmm. any environment. It's like, no, I have to have a very specific environment. I need to block out a certain amount of outside stimulus and I need to, um, and like, I need to structure my time better. I need to give myself really specific goals and um, place limits on myself. And like, so I work a lot better with structure and mm-hmm. um, I've just, learned that like those those things that are like helpful aren't optional for me anymore how was school for you um the thing that's like interesting about adhd from like what i'm learning about it is that like if you're interested in something you can hyper focus on it Mm -hmm. so like the subjects that i was really interested in i did really well in but a lot of other other things I was just like I just barely ever did my homework like I couldn't <laughs> um and I got by because I'm smart and um because I went to like schools with a lot of I went to private schools with like a lot of personal attention um but like I definitely like copied people's homework and like but then there were classes where I was like I remember my freshman year of high school I took this like history class and I got to write an essay about anything that I wanted and I wrote it about Frida Kahlo and it was like 15 pages longer than it was supposed <laughs> to be and it was like that's not the way I like that looking right. back I'm like oh very clearly that was like me hyper focusing on something that I actually cared about and then the other things that I didn't care about I couldn't get into that was something that I didn't know that I learned recently because um, I do a podcast called Childish with Greg Fitzsimmons and he has ADHD and we were talking about something um, involving my husband and he's like he was asking could your husband have ADHD and I'm like I don't know because he can really like he you know, he'll like be working on and he's very like artistic and he'll be working on an art project and like he can really dive into that f- and lose track of time. So like, I don't think yes, so. And he's he like, no, that can. is it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cause I thought, cause I think the sort of the like colloquial understanding of ADHD is just that like your brain flits from thing to thing, not the hyper focus, you know? I think, yeah, no, it's it, you can hyper focus on things that seem interesting to you. Right. Uh, and I think it's like, the effort involved in starting a task that isn't interesting to you, something different happens in the brains of people with ADHD. I don't really understand it. It's something to do with the blood flow and the dopamine and stuff like that. But like, if you are getting dopamine from doing something you enjoy, then it's a lot harder to shift away to something else because you don't have the mental resources to do so. But it also means that like, I think part of the reason why, first of all, so many comedians have it is because stand-up comedy is like you sh- you write in short bursts you have a ton of stimulation from the audience from the live performance the thing that like other people are so terrified of just kind of gets you to normal because <laughs> um, mm-hmm. you're like you need a lot of stimulation and there's like that constant accountability and like so I think sometimes when I talk about it at least with other comedians they're like well that just sounds like everyone and it's like no it's everyone we know because we all ended up here because mm-hmm we can't just sit alone in a room forever working on something like, and maybe I'm overgeneralizing, but there are a lot of things that ADHD is really 
good for. Like there are things that it makes possible in my life that wouldn't happen if I was maybe more like neurotypical um, that because like it, the fact that you kind of can think in more like nonlinear ways, like that's really good for joke writing. You make connections that other people don't make. You put ideas together that don't make a lot of sense. Your mind wanders when you're doing other things and you find jokes in those wanderings, you know? So I think that it's, it's one of those things where it's like, yes, it is a disorder, but it's also like has advantages and there's ways to learn how to like work with it and also like have it be a positive thing in your life while also, yeah, managing mm. it. You grew up in San Francisco, right? Um, in the East Bay, yeah. East Bay. Yeah. So Oakland or? Alameda. Gotcha. But I went to school in Oakland and, and then I lived in San Francisco after college and mm. that's where I started doing stand-up. What, um, what was your childhood like? It was great. I mean, um, my mom's an art teacher um, and my parents were both uh, hippies. So like they were very, very uh, encouraging of like all of me and my siblings creative pursuits. And we're all in creative fields now. Do you have a lot of siblings? Um, I have a sister who's a film director now. She directed Can You Ever Forgive Me, which was just recently oh, wow. nominated for a few. That's very cool. Uh, Oscars. Um, <clears throat> and my brother's a musician and um, he scored all of her movies and uh he does all the theme songs for my podcast and stuff um i was gonna i love the theme song oh of Baby thank Genius. you fact, yeah i had written that down i wanted to know who did that it was my brother it's so um, good he's great he's he's truly super super talented um what's his name his name's nate heller um and but yeah our, we we grew up um in like this big old victorian house in alameda california which is like a pretty suburban area and um did a ton of like art classes and like theater and stuff. Like when I was five, my entire family was in like a community theater production of The Music Man. Oh my god! Who um, did you play? Um, I was just in the chorus. My dad played the conductor. That was, I think, the biggest part that anyone in our family had in that play. <laughs> um, I but... truly think my first crush was on Winthrop because we saw it at the Pantages when I was a little kid. Who Winthrop, was... the little kid with the lisp. Oh, <laughs> my sister auditioned for that. And I think she was pretty mad that she didn't get it because she was like, they wouldn't cast a girl as that. Right. And she was like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to say she wrote an op-ed, but I think I'm remembering that wrong. <laughs> But yeah, you know, I had a I had a very happy childhood. Mm-hmm. My parents were both like both really wanted to be parents and really enjoyed it and were super like encouraging and supportive. When did you get into comedy? Um so I took a stand-up comedy class my senior year of college because I went to UC Santa Cruz and um they teach whatever there um (laughs) and uh it was just one of those things where there were like 80 kids in the class and most of them were like pre-med students who just needed to get a bunch of general education requirements out of the way and it seemed like the easiest way to do it Mm -hmm. um but then there were a few people in the class who were genuinely like interested in it and um uh like most of the kids in the class just told like dane cook jokes but uh (laughs) but then like there were a few of us who were like actually writing material and like I, it was one of those classes where everyone got an A, but I got an A plus. And I was like, <laughs> I think that this means something. And I met um, a friend of mine in that class invited me to start going up to San Francisco and going to open mics with her. And so that's kind of how I ended up starting doing it. And it was one of those things where I, I started it without an intention of it becoming my career. But 
as I think is common with ADHD people, like I never got going on anything else. I stuck with the thing that interested me the most until I had no other options. Was there, did you have ambitions before that of doing something else though? No, I, 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 I didn't know what I wanted to do. I mean, like, I think I wanted to be a writer of some kind, but anytime I tried to start like a big writing project, it would sort of fizzle out pretty quickly. I would like lose steam and not know how to structure my time. And, um, I've always been the kind of person um, who, and this was kind of explained to me recently by my husband that uh, like there's, and he's going to get mad at me for wording this so badly, but that like (laughs) there are people who um, they have like a goal and they try and figure out how to reach that goal. And then there are also people who have a set of skills and try and figure out how to use those skills Mm. and they don't know how they're going to use them, but their goal is just to figure out how to use those skills rather than having some sort of endpoint in mind. And I definitely think I'm more that type of person. And that's sort of how my career has gone. Like, I didn't set out to be a TV writer. I didn't set out to ever act on TV. Those opportunities just sort of followed me naturally following Mm -hmm. my interests. And then I've tried to be open minded about what my options are, because I truly don't know what I want to be doing day to day and I don't know what the experience is going to be like so I just try and like look at like do I have the skills for this do I want to develop the skills I learned by doing this um so when I started doing stand-up I didn't I didn't have any idea what I wanted to end up doing Mm -hmm. I think I kind of thought I was like and once I started like pursuing it for real and it really took several people telling me like you know that you can do this if you want to right like it took a lot of that before I gave it a real shot and even then i was like i'm giving this like this many years and then i'm gonna go back to school to learn how to do graphic design or something (laughs) like i didn't know i didn't think it was Mm -hmm. i didn't feel like entitled to a career in it in any way and then it's at some point so wait did you move to san francisco after college i moved to san francisco after college yeah and you were pursuing comedy yeah and i was working at rooftop comedy uh, I worked there for like three years and I was doing like open mics and I was also still doing some sketch comedy um, up there. Um, but yeah. What but, were you what were you doing working there? Or do you mean performing there or you were like actually working there? I was working at Rooftop Comedy. I was like doing editorial stuff. Like I was watching video of stand up gotcha. footage from like across the country. And I was watching a lot of like feature acts and open mics. Like I was watching some headliners and some like some hour-long sets, but really I was watching a lot of people who were like just a little bit past where Mm -hmm. I was in my career, which I think was more helpful than just watching like the best people who you can't possibly comprehend how they are doing what they did. What do you feel like you learned from watching those people? I mean, one thing that I did that was really helpful about watching that was like just knowing because I was like watching footage from like Tampa and from Cleveland and from New York was, I was like, Oh, I can see that people, there are like seven different comics who have this premise right now. Like I shouldn't write, try and write that premise. It was interesting seeing like, Oh, they don't even know that they're writing the same joke as someone else. Right. Um, and it really encouraged me to try and be like more, uh, specific and more personal. Um, but it was also just helpful. Like when I moved to New York, like I knew a ton of people, even if they didn't know me, I was like, <laughs> Hey, you're some random person from Cleveland, but I have seen all of your jokes. <laughs> and like, I think you're really funny. And it made it easier for me to like make connections and stuff. And also just made me feel like I had like a real appreciation for how much work everyone was putting in. What prompted the move to New York? Um, I, my sister lived there at the time. So you know, like everyone can't really stay in San Francisco and 
and keep pursuing comedy for that long. And, and it was that thing of like, I'm only giving myself a few, a few years to see if I have a shot at, at making this my career. And so I have to get moving on it. And New York was the place where I had like a safety net. And I had visited a bunch of times because of my sister living there. And so I had made more connections there. And I had also asked a lot of people for advice. And Ali Wong strongly encouraged me to move to New York because she was like, you're a writer, you're a really good writer. And like, New York is where you're going to get better at that. Like, people go to LA when they already know what they're selling or if they're just like a pure performer and the writing doesn't matter. But Mm. like, it seems like writing matters to you. And I think that you should move move here because she was living in New York at the time. Um, And I took that to heart. Um, So and I think it was the right move. And I probably would have lived in New York for longer if Mm. I didn't get a job out here. And was that which job out here was it? That was um, Surviving Jack, which was like a Fox. Uh, it was like a family sitcom on mm-hmm. Fox. Um, and you, was it a writing job or acting? it was a writing job? Um, and it was a staff writing job. And I kind of came out here thinking it was like going to be a temporary thing that I was going to go back to New York. Like I sublet my apartment. I left most of my stuff there. <laughs> and then because uh, I didn't know if I would like writing for TV. Um and then I just like fell in love with it right away. And had you submitted a packet for it? I How had does... written a pilot. Oh, cool. I had written an original pilot that I didn't know why I was writing it other than like my manager told me to. Um, and it took forever. Um, and it was like, as soon as it was done, they were sending it out to people. But I did get recommended for that job by another comedian who knew the showrunner and, um, that's kind of how I ended up getting in. And they took a big chance on me because I was really not impressive in the meeting. Cause I was like, I don't know if I'll be good at this. I don't know if I'll like it. I don't even know if I want to do it. And you they were, were that like, honest. I, yeah, I'm not very calculating. <laughs> um, I'm not diplomatic. I really am a very careless person and I don't know why I have a career. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm honestly like impressed. That's so, that's very refreshing to me because I feel like a lot of people would just be like, whatever you need, I can do it. I'm going to make um, guest producer Tony speak now. Isn't that surprising? Yeah, very much so. Yeah. yeah, that's a conversation my wife and I have a lot of like, no, nobody knows what they're doing and everybody just pretends and you think everybody has their shit together. Yeah. But- so but it's, yeah. it's nice that you just admit it. Yeah. yeah. I think because I was kind of scared, I didn't want to go in and then like be disappoint them. Right. That's a big fear of mine. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, and I, you know what, to be honest, I said that same thing in a, another staffing meeting that year and they held it against me probably wisely because they were like, oh yeah, she doesn't seem like she wants to be a TV writer. Why would we hire her? Mm. But um, the guys who ran Surviving Jack, who are um, Justin Halpern and Patrick Shoemaker, um, they were like, really cool about it and they were like listen like we know you don't know how to do that stuff we can teach you how to do that you can't teach someone how to be funny it'll take a lot less time for us to teach you how to like write a script than That's it will so to nice teach someone supportive yeah they were really really like i got so lucky with my first writing job because not only did they like hold my hand through some of that stuff but they also were like they would give me tips as the year was going on of like how I was doing with like my interactions with the room, they would like correct behavior that they saw as problematic. That was really helpful. Oh, for me. like what? Like they noticed that I was like not letting certain people finish their sentences. And they were like, you have to let them finish. I know that, you know, that it's not a good idea. <laughs> we'll get there. You have to let them. And I was like, okay, yeah, that is very good advice. <laughs> um, but they were also very, they would also say stuff to me like, just so you know, like, if you want this to be your career, it will be like, you're good at this. And we will help you in whatever way we can, which was like, it just it's, 
nice to have someone in your corner. And mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people feel like that. Not um, in this town. No, <laughs> no. Justin Halpern is that shit my dad says? It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he's super funny and a really talented writer. And um, yeah, I, I owe those guys a lot. So then where what happened after Surviving Jack? After Surviving Jack, I just like while that show was happening, I decided to stay in LA because I was like, even if this show goes away, I want to keep doing tv writing and i like living here and um anytime i would go back to new york all of the stuff that i had gotten used to was all of a sudden unbearable to me of like the weather and the grossness and the like uh just the sheer harshness of it i was just like we don't have to live like this you guys um (laughs) and so after that i just started trying to get jobs on other shows and i kind of ended up auditioning for this tv show that i like i wasn't even sure i was going to but then i got cast on a multi-cam sitcom and i did that for a season was that ground floor that was ground floor um and then yeah i just started um kind of just focusing more on writing and now i've been doing that a lot and i have to really carve out time for stand-up so like the tour that i did leading up to the album was like the i had to really consciously be like i'm not gonna work i'm going to go on tour i'm Mm. going to focus on this now because i can't really do both very well um but yeah do you enjoy touring yeah i do uh i definitely get burned out at a certain point but and there's certain places i like going more than others but uh but yeah, I've been taking a break from stand-up for a while now, though, and it's weird. I don't. How does that feel? Oh, man, it feels really weird. <laughs> uh, like, I like it. Uh, I feel like I'm focusing more on, like, other parts of my life, uh, which is kind of nice. But um, it does feel like I'm disconnected from a big part of myself, too. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you need to do stand-up frequently to keep that muscle in shape? I think that you can kind of take breaks and then come back. Like, I think it's, you definitely have to get back in shape if you've taken time off. Like, Mm. you can't just pick it back up again and be as good as you were. So I'm trying to figure out ways to do that. And that is, you know, uh, who knows what the future holds. It used to be that I would be like, I couldn't imagine not doing it for any stretch of time. And now I'm kind of like, I could maybe see a day when I stop doing it. But I kind of want to always have it as like an option for a way to express myself because you do get kind of like in writer's rooms you kind of like you don't have a lot of control over the final product and like even if it's your show that you're running it's like another person saying your jokes Mm -hmm. like you're not controlling how it's coming out and so it's nice to have that thing where you're like every single part of this i own completely right right Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there's no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data, and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. And by the way, I want you guys to know, sometimes I say data, sometimes I say data. I surprised myself that time with the data. I mean, I believe one is actually correct. 
I hope I opted for the correct one, but you get what I'm saying. You can also view stock collections, such as the 100 most popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of Allison Rosen is your new best friend a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at Allison, A-L-I-S-O-N dot Robinhood dot com. Again, that's Allison, A-L-I-S-O-N dot Robinhood dot com. You got married fairly recently, right? I got married like a year ago. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, but it's so weird. Had you you kept it a secret? I kind of kept it a secret because I recorded my album in January and I have a joke on the album where I say like, I not planning we're not planning on ever getting married or having kids and that was not a lie that was true and then uh my boyfriend lost his health insurance uh suddenly and somewhat illegally and um, can you go into detail about that uh probably not okay i don't know if he wants me to but it was just one of those things where like honestly since trump got elected like insurance companies have been doing a lot of shady shit and it was one of those things where like he couldn't even plan for it um and we realized that like if we got married he could be on my health insurance the day we got married so we were like well let's just do this immediately so it was like a 10-day engagement it was really really quick but i did feel like i am so like a little bit paranoid about like people like it was probably like a ridiculous thing to worry about but i was like i don't want people listening to the album and thinking i'm lying Mm -hmm. and i don't want it to like take people out of the experience of hearing the album and understanding the joke as i meant it like i i care a lot about something that probably wouldn't even matter to most people who especially people who like don't follow me on instagram and wouldn't even know that i had gotten married Mm -hmm. but i just i didn't want it to feel dishonest when people were hearing it because i felt like it would disrupt the experience of listening to the album and so that was part of why i didn't like announce that we had gotten married um but it was also then it became kind of this nice thing where it was like oh i'm so public about so many parts of my life so keeping that private for so long was sort of like an unusual practice for me and it was something where i was like oh yeah this should be for us and it should be something that like it was nice to be able to like only tell people in person Mm -hmm. and not have it be this thing that people like found out about somehow and i didn't know if they knew it was like i knew who knew i got married and like we sent out like a little card to people and it was like um, but it was like we eloped basically. And, uh, then when I, um, was starting to do the, when the album was finally coming out and I was doing promo for it, I was putting together a set to do, uh, for James Corden and they really wanted this one joke, the joke where I talk about not wanting to get married and I couldn't tell it anymore. Like I couldn't bring myself to tell it in that way that like, we're not going to get married. Like that felt too dishonest. So I like reworked it to be from the perspective of like we got married and we weren't planning on it um and then the cat was out of the bag so Mm -hmm. it was kind of like the plan was sort of always like after the album comes out then i'll tell people but uh but yeah we kept it secret for pretty much like eight or nine months i think uh and I mean, a ton of people knew, but it was like I never posted about it on Instagram, even though I knew how many likes I would get. Oh, my God. (laughs) I would get so many likes for posting about that. How long had you guys been together? Uh, We had been together for like three and a half years when when we got married. So it wasn't... And we were already like 
living together and buying a house together it wasn't like an escalation of commitment but right that's what i was gonna ask like, yeah were you, were you like ah at all uh no not really it it like it didn't scare me at all to mm-hmm. do that like buying a house was much much scarier <laughs> um but it you know it 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 did feel like uh all of a sudden my life changed in this huge way and it was the type of thing where like we genuinely were not planning on getting married. It wasn't something that was important to me. Like, I was really ambivalent about it. Like, as soon as we started talking about it, I was like, oh, I like the idea of being married to you. But also, there's a lot about getting married that still doesn't sit well with me mm-hmm. and that I still feel, like, not totally comfortable with. Like, um, but uh, but it was, like like when i called my mom to tell her about it she had just woken up from a nap and she made me repeat it like five times because she was (laughs) sure i was fucking with her like she could not believe that it was actually happening but they were very like excited and supportive and um yeah it was you know it was like a nice it was a nice day and uh but yeah it was it was very like we I bought my wedding cake at like a bakery just like a pre-made cake and they were like do you want it to say anything and I was like could you write wedding on it (laughs) and they were like okay so they went to the back and they told the person who was frosting it and then that person came out and was like wedding and I was like yes and she was like okay awesome cool uh and then she like brought it out and was like awesome like i like it like yeah i was that way about my wedding too um so we had a wedding cake that literally just said the word wedding on it and we got married in our living room because we didn't like the the place where we picked up our marriage license and we didn't want to get married there and i had my best friend get ordained so that i could have her at the wedding because we didn't invite anyone other than immediate family and then um and then we just like went out to dinner at the Tam O'Shanter, which was walking distance from I our house Tam at the O'Shanter. time. Yeah, it was like a vi- it was a very silly wedding. Did um, you guys dress up? Uh, yeah, we dressed up a little bit. I wore like a jumpsuit. <laughs> like I didn't wear a dress. Like I wore like a navy blue polka dotted jumpsuit, and like he wore like a jacket. And I don't even know if he wore a tie. Mm-hmm. Did he wear a tie? I don't remember. Um, if only it was on Instagram, he would know. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I can look at the picture. He might have been wearing a tie. Um, my parents like brought nice clothes and then left them at the Burbank airport. And like, they literally <laughs> oh, no. were flying in just for the day. And so we didn't have time to even go back and get their clothes before we were doing the wedding. And so <laughs> my mom borrowed a dress of mine and my dad was wearing, I think, cargo pants. Um, <laughs> it was very silly, but it was nice. And it was like very like we you know set the tone of what we wanted it to be that honestly sounds really nice because i had like a very small but like froofy wedding and it i look back and i wish i had eloped was there drama there's always drama yeah there There was was still drama at our wedding and it was nothing yeah but i think it's impossible to have a wedding and have there not be drama yeah well i was like i'm not gonna be the bridezilla i'm gonna be the cool chill bride (laughs) and you know i'm gonna keep everything relaxed and then as it like started escalating and getting closer to it and and because at the beginning i I remember people were like wedding planning oh it's so bad i'm like i don't see what's so bad about it and then i'm like oh i get it get it and then also like then when there was drama and then like things sort of you know family stuff like came out of nowhere that i wasn't expecting and then yeah it's like people put so much expectations on it they project so much well also the thing that kind of fucked with my head was people being like it's your day this is your day you know <laughs> and so you're like, be I'm like doing this for you <laughs> <laughs> it's your actually the one person uh you know nikki cox i don't of, um 
She was married to Jay Moore and she okay. was on that show. Oh, yeah. Okay. I know who she with is. With the rabbit that was like married. Yeah. Oh, my God. What yes. was it called? Yeah. I, was it Unhappily Ever After or something? Yeah. No, that, I feel that sounds like she's like a show. redhead or? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she said to me, she's like, just remember, this wedding is not for you. It's for the <laughs> other people. <laughs> um, but everyone else is like, it's your day. You know, it should be everything you want. And I really like. I, I didn't think that I would fall into the trap, but I started falling into the trap of like, it's my day. Like, oh God, uh, everything yeah. should be exactly how I want it. And, and people are asking me what my favorite, I don't have a favorite flower and I don't know. And it was just like a thousand decisions, but they all felt important somehow. Yeah. And, and people just, are like, you only have one wedding. Yeah. Like, well, I don't know that. <laughs> Although both my husband and I are like, if we ever were to do this again, now we, we'd we be so much better at it. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, and I do think you should have to redo it every certain amount yeah. of years. And it should be... I mean, I don't know who, who first put this idea forward that, like, it should be a thing you have to renew. And then if you decide not to renew it, it's not a big deal. Yeah. You know? Like, it's a thing that you should have to, like, decide over right. and over again. Like, we shouldn't pe- treat people who get divorced like they've failed. Right. Right. You know, when really it's like, no, you did like two full terms. <laughs> I know. Like, <laughs> yeah. How many people did you have at your wedding? Uh, I think it was 28. Okay. So it was oh, small. So that's very small. Yeah, yeah, it was really small. It was really just family and a couple um friends yeah and then like w- sort of like what you did one of my best friends um he got ordained and he married us and honestly like <clears throat> everyone who was excuse me everyone who was there i mean they probably always say this but they're like this is like the most beautiful wedding and we cried in your vows and i think that and for my husband it was like the best day it was just because he hadn't he didn't, he didn't realize to- all the sh- like sort of drama that i had been fielding yeah um Anyway, I don't know. I, I, but then the more and more people who've gotten married that I talk to, like the more I hear that kind of story. Yeah. Um, that like there's it, drama no matter what. Yes. Yeah. And it like didn't, it didn't feel like this fairy tale day that you build up in your head. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was one of those things where I was like, do I want this to be different? I don't think that I do, but it's also like definitely not what I imagined. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yours sounds like that sounds great. Just the sort of it was really nice, casual. Yeah, yeah, it was super casual, and you know, it's one of those things where while it's ha- like it's enough that while it's happening, you're like, oh, I am becoming a married person. That's a big transformation. It's a I don't huge identity a shift. Yeah, I I pla- was not comfortable with that part. Yeah, <laughs> I planned on changing my name. Oh really? Um, yeah, just because I've never loved last name Rosen. My husband's last name is Quants. I'm like that's a cool that's that's a cool last oh, name. Yeah. And um and we filled out the paperwork to change it, but then I never did it because I was like I I've been Allison Rosen for so many years. Like I can't. And also I have a theme song and a website. <laughs> like yeah. honestly, that stuff that stuff like went through my head. I mean, even if you changed it, you shouldn't change your professional name, right? If right. anything, that just makes it better because then, like, people who want to stalk you have a harder time finding yeah. you for real. But yeah, well, then that was the plan. The plan yeah. was okay, and especially because I have a I have a son, and then we're having another one. And my son has my husband's last name, so then I'm like, okay, I'm gonna just personally, you know, like in my private life, change my last name. But then I can't even do that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, but that's like a paperwork thing. <laughs> that's more yeah, like it just seems like a though. pain. Yeah. It's hard though. And it's, it just, it feels like such, I definitely was not ever going to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, we're also not going to have kids. So it doesn't seem like 
like if you have kids i get that you're like you want the whole family to have right. the same last name like that totally makes sense to me but if you're not gonna have kids that makes no sense but one of the wedding gifts we got from like one of my in-laws was like a cutting board and then like a cheese knife that had my husband's last initial that had the letter m on it which is my husband's last initial and it took me like two full days to understand what the gift meant and i was like <laughs> oh she thinks i'm changing my name oh that's we're not no <laughs> yeah yeah the i remember my parents sent a uh i don't i don't know if it was a wedding gift or i don't know what it was but it like they where they wrote Allison Quants. I'm like, oh, they don't know they don't <laughs> that know. I didn't change yeah. it. Um, going back to something you were saying earlier, I think that's, I, I relate and admire, which sounds like I'm complimenting myself, um, <laughs> the fact that you value authenticity so much that like you can't do a joke that doesn't feel real. Um, but my question is, there is a lot about stand-up that, can be can can f- i imagine could feel contrived in yeah. that every time you perform the material you are acting as if it is for the first time yeah you're successfully imitating a one-sided conversation and trying to make it seem spontaneous and right stuff. and i think that it's like everyone has different standards about what it, what that means and what you're doing when you do that but like to me it sort of feels like if you the essential thing that you're trying to say is true then like having it be something that sounds spontaneous even when it isn't it's like that still gets to the idea of what i'm trying to say which Mm. is that this is not a fancy thought this is a a casual thought and so i think it's like that's what's important about the authenticity of what you're saying like obviously i'm gonna practice it and i'm gonna hone the words because i care about that a lot but it's really we got into this conversation i mean i'm sorry to bring this up but i got into this conversation about louis ck uh don't apologize for <laughs> bringing it up. Yeah. I prefer it. If anything, what I have is comedians who are like, don't ask me about Louis C.K. Oh, that's so funny. I mean, I I truly fuck that guy. Uh, I He shouldn't be performing in any clubs. Um, but I got into this conversation about, uh, with my husband actually, about like why it is that people felt betrayed by his material. And to me, I was like, I don't know what people who don't do stand-up feel or like why they feel betrayed by that. But as a comedian, I felt like so much like me and my friends talk so much about what standards we're going to hold ourselves to when it comes to being honest on stage. And it felt like he implied that Mm -hmm. he was telling you the worst thing about himself when he knew he wasn't. Right. And it was like, Obviously, that's not the worst thing he did at all. <laughs> um, but as a performer, I think that betrayal felt like obviously a lot of people are say fake stuff on stage, and you combine stories, and you tell and you tell jokes that are just top to bottom not true sometimes. But like, like there are people like Anthony Jeselnik who it's like no one thinks that any of that stuff actually happened. Like mm-hmm. he has to say so clearly when he's telling a real story on stage, <laughs> right? But Louis really worked hard to convince you that what he was saying was really who he was. Right. And it was, it's so below the standard that me and any of my friends hold ourselves to when it comes to that. And also, I feel like he came across as like a sensitive guy who was sort of an ally. Yeah. If anything, he presented himself as he gave us evidence that he was thoughtful enough about these topics that he could understand why what he did was wrong which is like either 
that was false or you're more culpable. There's no way that he comes out of that looking good. That's why it's so weird to watch the shift that he's made now. Oh, yeah. I mean, it also is so predictable and... It, it it just feels like he's leaning into like being a villain like some of the jokes he was telling people were like i can't believe how offensive that was and i was like that's the game he's playing right now he's trying to say the worst possible thing yeah like he doesn't believe any of this he's just trying to say the worst possible thing but that's not a fun cool game anymore <laughs> that's a grandpa game that's right. a game for old boring men it's not <laughs> punk it's not interesting it's yeah. very status quo right right um okay let's take so no first i have to ask you yes retirement party for men yes did you create that i did create that talk about that um the retirement party for men uh try not to blast it too much but oh uh, would you there's no there's you can't google it there's nothing you'll find online but i just started doing these networking events for women in comedy um and non-binary people and um trans people just not cis men i guess but um just networking events to try and like get like writers and comedians and actors and like hair and makeup people photographers producers managers just like get everyone in a room and just remember that we like working with each other because after all of the like me too stuff was happening and we kept hearing these stories about men behaving in ways that like were so bad that they shut down sets Mm -hmm. i started thinking about all of the stories that get passed around about women being difficult to work with and me and i just felt like we're not difficult to we're not shutting down sets with our behavior like but we don't get the chance to work together as often as we'd like very often there's like one or two women in a writer's room and then you leave that writer's room with eight men you can recommend and one other woman that Mm -hmm. you can recommend for a job when people ask you for recommendations and i just felt like there's a lot of us who want to be more active in sort of like attempting to work together and attempting to sort of help each other. And I think that like, it just felt like something productive to do with the anger I felt about everything that was happening. Cause I just felt so like helpless and angry and like there was nothing I could do. And I, it, and I realized I was like, I can just throw a party and then I'll, I'll feel good about this. And I couldn't believe how easy it was to get people to come. <laughs> and when you just say that, like, this is a space for us to just actually be like, open about our ambitions to talk to each other about what we want to be doing and to like think about ways we can help each other achieve our goals like people were super on board with it um so i've been doing those like every few months in la and um you know i keep them kind of quiet because i don't want it to be like overrun and i also don't want a bunch of men to defiantly show up so if you're a man (laughs) listening like don't please don't come like we'll let you in because we don't want to get sued um but i you won't get anything out of it. Um, <laughs> uh, ideally, you won't get anything out of it. But, um, uh, but yeah. So it's been uh, it's been like a positive experience for me, and also just cool to see how many women are down to like show up and help each other out. And yeah, let's take some questions that uh, listeners sent in on Twitter and Patreon. When we ask, they send them in. They're wondering how you. So thanks so much for answering these questions from our fans. Just speaking of, Justin Halpern would like to know, Golden Girls or Frasier? Oh, that's so tough. Um, I don't know what criteria he wants me to evaluate that on. Um, obviously Frasier is a bigger part of my life in certain ways, but also the Golden Girls, I think, I think Frasier, I think Frasier, but the Golden Girls... 
has its own advantages. Mm-hmm. Frasier is something I watch more than the Golden Girls. I think it holds up better. I think it has like a wider range of things that it attempts and it achieves. But I also think Golden Girls, in terms of like pure, fun, feminist, like uh, unique television show, it accomplished a lot. I also in terms of like what shows i have seen drag queens perform <laughs> i have seen many different versions of a golden girls drag show and it is the most fun show you will ever see in new york or here i've seen it in san francisco and i've seen it here i'm sure they do one in new york they do them in a, and they just perform straight up episodes and it's so great it's so great to like be in a room and hear those jokes actually kill for uh-huh. real and then also they can kind of point out the stuff that has not aged well, <laughs> unlike the women on that show. <laughs> okay. Nick Wester PI says, and I don't understand this question. Oh yeah. I can explain it. <laughs> okay, good. Is she as excited by band chunch as Lisa is, or is it that she's excited that Lisa is excited? Now I know Lisa is your co-host, she's my co-host on, on my podcast Baby and we have a regular segment on our podcast where we discuss, um, this one pony that Martha Stewart has named Banchunch, uh, who used to be called Ben Chunch, and then she mysteriously changed it to Banchunch. And at first, the segment was just us trying to investigate what his name actually was. And now it's just we talk about any sort of updates in the world of like Martha Stewart's animals, uh, celebrity horses, things like that. And obviously, no one is going to be as excited about horses as Lisa Hannawalt is. She's the uh, production designer on BoJack Horseman. She's like obsessed with horses. She's like a giant horse girl. When she was a kid, she wrote like an assignment for school saying like when she grew up, she wanted to be famous for drawing horses. And now she is, which is like incredible. She's like, no one's going to be as excited as Lisa is. But I will say like, there's something that I'm like, genuinely jealous of that there's that she loves something as much as that like i don't think there's anything i'm that passionate about mm-hmm. as she is about horses um does but she i have love, a ho- have a horse <sighs> she does she just got a horse <laughs> oh how I'm exciting for her i mean i'm like am i allowed to talk about that is that but no she she does have a horse she's posted about it on instagram i think it's fine um yeah she has a horse um and i think she for a long time she wasn't writing because i think uh, and she started writing again a few years ago. And uh, I think I might get to meet her horse tomorrow. I'm really excited about it. <laughs> anyway, um, I like talking to people about things that they care a lot about. If you don't think there's gonna be a lot of negatives in this sense, if you don't think immediately after this podcast, I'm going to find her horse on Instagram. You're wrong. <laughs> Okay, and now a question on Patreon. I'm on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen is where you go. All sorts of fun. We get bonus episodes, live stream, behind the scenes content. Um, Sometimes you can get merch in the mail, all sorts of fun stuff. And one of the perks is you can get your questions in ahead of everyone else, except I did the order wrong accidentally. (laughs) Alyssa, (laughs) Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. Alyssa Van Dyke would like to know, what do you hope people see when they Google you? Oh. Um, probably my Getty Images purse. Yes, that's ingenious. The 2018 Emmy Awards. Uh, and I think we're getting there. I think it's getting to the point where that is what people see when they Google me first, which is tight. Uh, I think that might be the thing, my, the professional accomplishment I am proudest of. I went to the Emmys this year with Barry, um, and, uh, I custom ordered a purse that looked like the Getty Images watermark and I held it up in all the pictures and, just desperately wanting to go viral and it did and i can't be i can't couldn't be happier about how did you get that idea we were just like sitting around talking one night 
um like me and some of my friends about like because i i thought so hard about what i wanted to wear because i really had to treat it like there was a chance i was never going back like i had to Hmm. be like this is probably my only chance i need to make a splash i just wanted i just didn't want to do like the boring thing i think like obviously i love wearing pretty dresses and stuff but like i wanted to wear something interesting and uh i also think that making fun of things like that is also really fun and um at first i think someone threw out the idea of like i had already ordered my dress at that point and someone was like throughout the idea of like it'd be funny if you just had a dress that just had the getty images watermark (laughs) on it already and then i was like oh what if i just like had like a purse that 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 had that um and then i ordered it that night and it was arrived in like three days where did you order it um i ordered it from this website called bagsoflove.com that just (laughs) prints photos on whatever you want and they're really fast um and uh i think there's nothing funnier than just like custom vanity clothing and items and things like that um and the best like telescoping like uh not telescoping but just like meta joke about this is that like for christmas my brother-in-law got me a an airbrush t-shirt of my face in the photo when they took the photo of me (laughs) holding the getty images handbag but it's just my face giant on the t-shirt which i love um but uh but yeah i think next year i'm gonna uh, just have a dress made out of like chroma key green screen green <laughs> material oh, and then just say like if you're a designer and you want to say that you dress me for the Emmys just like put one of your dresses on me that's I love that I don't know if people are going to take my picture as much because part of the reason why they took so many pictures is because Getty Images photographers were excited about it yeah and I was like oh no I'm making fun of you uh, but okay <laughs> and the other photographers were so mad they were so so mad anyway um, all right now we're going to do a segment it's newish that's right. it's it's more than newish it's new ish it's, it's called, a hot young segment on the scene that's right this <laughs> segment exploded onto the scene very recently <laughs> <laughs> um it's called how dare you and it is where i ask you quite personal nosy questions and you, okay. if you don't have to answer you can say how dare you okay um and i recently opened it up to patreon as well so some of these questions are from the patreon subscribers and uh before we start, though, I like to say, I like to add, to assess on a scale of one to ten, one being you're extremely private and ten being you're an open book, where would you put yourself? I'm a ten, but I have people in my life who are ones. And that Same. nudges me back on the scale, which is annoying. Yeah. Have you gotten in trouble from the ones? <laughs> yeah. Because I have. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't understand not telling everyone everything about yourself. Right. I'm not ashamed of anything. Yeah. And that's, I think, a thing that is unusual about me. But. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's hear the thing. Happy be on the show. Ask me anything you want to know. And I'll be sure to... What? How dare you? Okay. This one's not too nosy. What's the last thing you screenshotted? Oh, let me look at my phone. Um... The last thing I screenshotted um, is actually a segment of a script for a show that I worked on um, because I was really excited that a really dumb joke that I wrote is still in it after many rewrites. And I wanted to screenshot it to show my husband because it's like basically a joke that I wrote in his voice (laughs) when he's trying to be stupid. Um, Here's an extremely nosy one. And this is from Patreon. Have you ever been caught masturbating? Um, 
No, but one time I did leave my vibrator on like the rim of my bathtub that I shared with my parents for like three days and no one ever said anything about it. I just <laughs> sort of quietly brought it back into my room. Oh God, were you, how did you feel about that? I was just like, I don't know if they saw it. I think I was afraid for a couple of days that they were going to talk to me about it, but they never did. Um, how did you lose your virginity? Um, with sex. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was like with a guy in college who I had been dating for like a week. It was very, um, quick. It was like, I was, I, it, not a lot of fanfare. I just wanted to get it over with. Mm. It was good though. So, okay. Also from Patreon celebrity who is secretly horrible celebrity who is secretly awesome. Oh, uh, I don't think I can talk about celebrity who is secretly horrible. That's going to get me in trouble. Yeah. But celebrity who is secretly awesome. Um, well, I work with Bill Hader. He's great. I really like, he's like totally brilliant. Um, also, I will say Anthony Jeselnik, secret sweetie. Like, I think people know that he's great and he's like a really good comedian, but like, I have opened for him for a few years on tour and I just have been surprised at, uh, like I would never expect that he and I would be friends based on what we do on stage, Mm -hmm. but he's, he's a great person. Yeah. I had him on the podcast a while ago and he's like so thoughtful and self-aware and, and then it makes you go, Oh, well maybe you have to be that to do the persona he does. I mean, I also think he's like incredibly full of himself, (laughs) but I don't mind that. I I do feel like he is actually like that arrogant, but uh, I like that about him because it means I can make fun of him and it doesn't like hurt his feelings the way it does with when I try that with other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And then lastly, what was your first heartbreak? My first heartbreak. Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I guess it was like probably in high school. um, I got dumped kind of quickly by someone i was like dating but i mean i've had a lot of a lot of boys break my heart over the years of just like not wanting to be with me and yeah i think um yeah i don't know it's not like a good story just like gotten broken up with a Mm -hmm. bunch of times (laughs) do you look them up on facebook ever um yeah i mean like a few of them I'm still in touch with. Mm-hmm. Um, and like looking back, I'm like, I don't give a fuck about you anymore. Um, I don't care anymore. Like, um, but I, if anything, I definitely look up the people more who nothing ever happened between us. Cause then I'm like, that's still like, right. What's your deal? Did you ever <laughs> like me? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'll like, I'll all of a sudden remember someone from 20 years ago or something. And I'll be like, <gasps> oh my God, I can't wait to look them up. <laughs> like, yeah. And then they're not on yeah, social media. That's and so it's like, weird. you psychopath. Why aren't you here for me to just look at your life? <laughs> or they have a super, super common last name. It'll be like Dave oh, Smith. Yeah. There was not a Dave Smith, but the, the equivalent. And I'm like, well, I can't wade through a thousand of you. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. And also, or it's like, also like, I'm sure you did not end up at MIT. So that can't be you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a lot of times when I'm trying to look up someone for like whatever reason, whether it's like an old friend I lost touch with or just someone I got curious about who I like went to camp with. A lot of times when I try and look them up on Facebook, I get like British teenagers Mm -hmm. and I'm like, I don't, how did this happen? (laughs) Yeah. I wish you could actually, that should be a search parameter, the age. 
Yeah. I feel like usually we know the age of the person we're trying to look if up. If Facebook is listening, I don't actually want you to introduce they any are features listening. that make this, that I'm make sure this they are. easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't make this easier. I should not be on Facebook right. at all. No, I was going to say, meanwhile, yeah. I'm like thinking about getting off Facebook. But yeah. um, Emily Heller, it was so oh nice having you on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, it was nice to be here. I'm glad that we were able to do this. Me too. Please tell everyone... Uh, where to find you, plug anything you'd like to plug, etc. Sure. I'm at Mr. Emily Heller on all social media platforms. Um, and you can buy my album, Pasta. Uh, the full album is not on Spotify. So if you're listening on Spotify, you're not hearing all of the jokes, including some of my favorites. Um, and then I think my special is probably coming out in the next like month or two so So you videoed the recording of the i did like a separate recording for the special and i recorded that at the showbox in seattle and it was really awesome and um it's just been a while trying to figure out where we can put it out but it should be out soon so follow me and i'll post about it wonderful yeah um and tony where do we find you uh i'm at tony thaxton on twitter and instagram uh and i'm just gonna say because i didn't have a moment to i didn't want (laughs) to interject too much uh Watch Barry if you haven't. Oh yeah, that is, watch Barry. That is like my favorite show in a very long oh, time. Oh, thank I you so much. Yeah, and we just wrapped season two, very and excited. I'm excited about it. I got to see like a little like cut together preview of season two, and there's some stuff that I'm super excited about. Um, yeah, when does that premiere? Do you know? I think also in I think in March, but we don't have an exact date yet. Oh, <laughs> like that you're you're looking to yeah, Tony. Like, like I don't might know. know. <laughs> like did you see any? But season one is available on HBO Go. It's eight episodes. It's uh, a quick dark watch. It's very my episode. Like the one that my my name is on. It's like obviously like TV writers rooms don't work the way people think that they do. Like I worked on every episode and my episode got rewritten by people who aren't me. Like there's you know it's not like I'm responsible for it. But like it ends in this very like intense violent way and then it says written by emily heller and it's i think one of the most more perfect illustrations of how uh credited writer on a tv show is not a clear indication of where the ideas came right. from my friend i i don't think i can say what show but my friend writes on a big show well no he's a producer on the show and he also mm. has written some episodes but like there's one episode the one big episode that was like his episode uh-huh. but it says written by and then his name and another guy and he doesn't even know he doesn't know who the other guy is <laughs> what yeah <laughs> That's crazy. I worked on a show one time where we literally drew names out of a hat to see whose name was going to go on the episode. Oh, wow. Because we group wrote everything. Mm -hmm. And so it was totally arbitrary, but it is like it helped. It's you have to do that because that's where you make some some of your money and you know you can't credit everyone with right yeah. and that that's a union rule that it is a union rule and, and i credited. also think that it's just like a sign of respect to your writers to show that like each of them contributed you know and like i think there's a, there's a lot of shows where like the writer wrote the draft and then like the showrunner rewrites everything and there are some showrunners who will put their name on the episodes they rewrote and that's just taking money out of their writers pockets mm-hmm. and it's it's just one of those it's it just seems like an ugly move to me but yeah if you're a showrunner listening and you do that um i'm judging you (laughs) (laughs) the i am too but maybe you didn't know better i don't know (laughs) 
Well, maybe after this episode, they'll yeah. change their ways. <laughs> um, and if you like what you're hearing, subscribe, iTunes.com slash Allison Rosen or wherever you get podcasts. Also, I have the other podcast I mentioned earlier with Greg Fitzsimmons, Childish. It's a parenting podcast, but you 100% do not have to have kids uh, to enjoy it. So it's just loosely based on parenting. And that is called Childish, the website childishpod.com. I have a website, AllisonRosen.com. Um, I have a book out. You can find out information on that on the website and t-shirts and ringtones and all that stuff. I'm at Allison. And Rosen on Twitter and Instagram. Emily, thank you again for doing the show. Thank you for having me. Listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen show? We had a good time.